Welcome to She Thinks, a podcast where you're allowed to think for yourself. I'm your host, Beverly Hallberg. And on this episode, we talk to Jarrett Stepman, author of the new book, The War on History, The Conspiracy to Rewrite America's Past. I'm thrilled to have Jared on, not only because he's a fellow Northern Californian, but also because we are approaching Columbus Day, a day that has recently come under attack by those saying it marks the atrocities committed by Europeans on natives and black people. So today's Jared's going to answer some questions on what's really behind this effort to rewrite history and whether or not we can honor our past while acknowledging its mistakes. Before we bring him on a little bit about Jared, Jared is a columnist for the Daily Signal a multimedia publication of the Heritage Foundation, where he writes about how history informs our present politics. He was a 2018 Lincoln Fellow for the Claremont Institute and has appeared on Fox News, CNN, and the One America News Network. His columns have been published by The Federalist, The American Mind, Real Clear Politics, and Congressional Quarterly, among many others. And he currently lives in Washington, D.C. with his wife. So, Jarrett, thank you so much for coming on. Oh, thank you very much. And I know many of us know your wife because she works for IWF. So Inez Stepman is your wife, and we love having her on the podcast as well. So it seems like the the policy in both of you, it, it's it's something that you both care about deeply. Uh, it, it certainly is. It's something we, we, we share, and uh, certainly I, I have her to thank, especially with, with uh, the writing of my book for you know staying up long nights and helping me out with that and my research and editing. So uh, she's she's just wonderful. Well, we always love having her on the podcast. And I was excited to have you on, not because we've known each other for a while. As I mentioned, you're a fellow Northern Californian as well. It's always a pleasure to meet Californians who have the similar ideologies that, that we share, which is a little bit unusual for the West Coast. Um, but also because this is a perfect time to talk about your book as we are approaching Columbus Day, a day that people typically, or at least in the past, tended to celebrate and thought of this as a good thing. But these days, it's a day that's attacked. Why are we seeing that? Yeah, you know, I think the attacks on Columbus, uh, they started a while ago. In fact, they did kind of start in the San Francisco Bay Area. I know in, in 1992 was the first big one where, uh, of course, it was the 500-year uh, anniversary of Columbus's landing in the Americas. Uh, they actually changed the name of uh, Columbus Day to Indigenous Peoples Day, which at the time I think people kind of wrote it off because it was Berkeley and, and those sorts of things kind of happened in Berkeley. But, you know, this thing is really spread. It's really spread across the country. It's, it's spread, uh, you know, a lot of the most, uh, I would say now majorities of young Americans uh, have a negative view toward Columbus. And I think a lot of the tax certainly came from, especially one historian named Howard Zinn, who wrote prolifically in the in the 70s, uh, wrote a book called The People's History of the United States. And he pinned uh, the growth of what he thought is international capitalism, things like this. He pinned that on Christopher Columbus. He thought that Christopher Columbus's discovery that created this kind of globalized world in which capitalism would flourish. And of course, Zinn himself was certainly a Marxist, a card-carrying communist. And so he saw that, uh, he saw that America's roots, I mean, in the Americas, uh, was ultimately a bad thing that it was uh, somehow uh, there was it was rotten from the beginning. If you if you want to say it's rotten from the beginning, you have to start with Christopher Columbus, who of course, without Columbus, there would be no America. I mean, period. I mean, that's it was his uh, it was his 
journey across the Atlantic and, and the discovery that he made that made this world kind of possible. And so this brings me to the question. I think it's really the crux of what your book is about, and that is whether or not we can honor our past, both the founders and the founding documents, while still acknowledging that there are mistakes, that it wasn't a perfect history. Why is it that we do see certain activists or bureaucrats, or and we'll talk about who is actually behind some of this, why is it that it almost seems that people in our past have to be perfect if we are going to recognize them or remember them in any way. Yeah, I mean, we see this with a lot of things. I mean, we talk about modern day so-called cancel culture. You know, you find one flaw in somebody and you erase them. And I, I think that to a certain extent, we're applying that same that same kind of rule to book to the past, which, of course, you know, when you talk about the past, which is often sometimes a very different place where people had different values, where the debates were different. Uh, if you apply that that kind of um, measure, you, you'll cer- certainly find that all people in the past were, were generally flawed as we are. And um, it is a real danger because, you know, a lot of the great things that have been passed down to us were passed down by people who we would disagree with on things, who we would find to be flawed and have made mistakes. You know, we, we certainly today ourselves make a whole lot of mistakes. And I think this, this idea that those who we, we've gotten good things from in the past need to somehow be perfect, perfect zions of, you know, it, our ideology, which I think a lot of it comes down to. I mean, not everybody in 1492 is going to have the same outlook on the world as a, a modern day progressive. I mean, it's just, it's not realistic. I mean, and that those standards are constantly changing. They're constantly evolving uh, almost day to day. You know, what, what exactly is deemed acceptable now, two days from now, may not be deemed acceptable. In fact, it may be quite the opposite. And so if you apply those standards to people who, in many cases, are hundreds of years in the past, uh, I think you end up with a skewed view of history. You start to just view everything as bad and evil, and you tend to throw out the things that are actually very much good. It ultimately made us so that our country is great, so that we have prosperity, so that, you know, we were created as a virtuous people. Uh, You throw those things out, and I think you have a very warped view of reality and and of human nature, which I think very much is fallen. Um, So I think that's a real danger in this whole movement, which ultimately, I mean, we're really going to look at every single figure in American history or world history and put them through this lens, uh, nobody's going to escape that scrutiny. I mean, not a, not a single person. And so, you know, is that a healthy way of looking at the past, a healthy way of looking at society now? I mean, I, I, I certainly don't think so. And so what do we do then about the what, what people see as the evil of slavery, that it's this dark stain on America's past? And they people may be listening to you and say, Jared, I agree with you on day-to-day matters, but there's no way to ever excuse slavery and what was done. So how do you put that into context of the past? And what do you say to individuals that we shouldn't be honoring anyone who did own slaves? Well, I mean, first of all, I think, especially, it it does kind of bother me. People, you know, look back and say, well, you know, how could this person, you know, especially somebody like, for instance, Thomas Jefferson, you know, this guy, you know, talked a good talk, but he, you know, he owned slaves and things like that. And I say, you know, Look, we have the incredible benefit today to live in more or less a world without slavery, certainly in the United States. It's been purged from our country. The, the, the time that Jefferson lived in slavery was more or less the norm, and tyranny was everywhere. I mean, there was no 
there was no free country. I mean, every country, even, you know, the ones who were somewhat better than others, uh, were ultimately ones where people lived under various forms of tyranny. I mean, it was ultimately people like, like Jefferson and, and other founders who I think had the courage of their convictions to say in a, in a society in which a race-based slavery was very much a reality to put in our founding documents, the idea that, you know, we hold certain truths to truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. I mean, that's what's, what's very brave. And that's what ultimately uh, made things better. Those are ultimately the standards that we hold them to. I think we don't realize the very standards that we say that they failed on, especially the founding fathers, uh, are the ones that, you know, we are using against them. I mean, it's, it comes straight from them. I mean, and we have to acknowledge that, you know, the idea that slavery is a great evil and abomination through most of history, that wasn't the case. Most people saw it as just you know, part of how the world worked, that it was perfectly fine, that it was perfectly normal. Uh, you know, and, and in our history, I think our country is really trended toward liberty and it tre- it's trended toward freedom. And, you know, that those, that those tyrannies existed here as elsewhere, to me, is not, not the surprise. I mean, the surprise is that there's been any liberty at all, that there's been any success and prosperity, especially in comparison uh, to the rest of the world. So that's the kind of context that I think needs to be important. So if we really think that, you know, any society that has had slavery uh, is fundamentally bad, then frankly, all societies are bad. I mean, all civilizations are bad. And I think that's a really unhealthy way of looking at things, especially, you know, when we think about what are people going to look back a, a thousand years from now and look at us and the mistakes that undoubtedly we will make and the things that we have undoubtedly done wrong? Uh, you know, that's just not a healthy view of the world. So what do you say then, and this is, I'm trying to think of the personal aspect of this because I have heard from friends who do take personal offense to some of the statues that they see saying that it reminds them of the time of slavery and what happened to the people that came before them. What do you say to those individuals who struggle to look at those monuments and it does remind them of tyranny and what their ancestors went through? Well, I think there's a couple of ways of of dealing with this issue. First of all, I I do think that there's a necessity in building statues and monuments to new heroes very much. I think we sometimes lose sight of that. I mean, I do talk once in my book about, you know, building a statue of Christopher Columbus, who at one time came under attack by, uh, weirdly enough, uh, white supremacists and the Ku Klux Klan. It was something of a tribute to Italian-Americans and uh, Catholic immigrants. You know, building up a statue was there was a statue down the street of a man who uh, Samuel Morse, who was a kind of notorious nativist, and he was uh, very much against Catholic immigrants. They decided to build a, a new statue that celebrated the things that they truly believed in. And I, and I think that, well, I think it's very important. Look, some some statues around the country uh, may ultimately people may decide to bring them down, and I, I think that you know we do sometimes have to evaluate these things on an individual basis. Um, but a lot of other statues, I mean, we, we have to understand what they were there for. I mean, there was one statue in Atlanta that was so, a so-called Confederate statue that was actually a peace statue. It was one that was built to say that, you know, there should be peace after the war and there should be an end of uh, the bitter feelings. And then people, a mob basically gathered and tore it down. So people didn't really even think through exactly why the thing was there to begin with. And I, I think that it is really important in this, in this whole debate to, uh, be measured in the way we look at these things, understand the context of why the statues were there, build more positive statues to, I think, the things that our society does celebrate, uh, because 
Well, I mean, at the end of the day, we don't want to just go to the past and just target, well, that person makes me uncomfortable, tear him down, and I like this guy, so we'll build him up. I think that ultimately, at the end of the day, we're better off as a society coming to an understanding uh, about those in the past, even those who we very much disagree with. I mean, there are a lot of historical figures in American history that I do not favor, and they have statues around the country, and uh, to me, you know, that starts a debate about what they are and what they stand for. Uh, just going around and looking for statues to tear down, I think, doesn't really do any good. And I also think, too, and on that note, and I agree with you in that so much about paintings and statues and fill in the blank of the different ways that we remember the past, it always teaches a lesson, some good lessons, some bad lessons. And I thought it was really interesting, uh, an article that you wrote, you talked about, I believe it was a George Washington mural was it in San Francisco that they were trying to take it down out of a school when actually it was depicting some of the challenges of slavery and everything else during that time? So the school completely lost the context of what this painting was trying to achieve. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. And I think that's what we've seen in a lot of these arguments about these statues and monuments is you don't even get the kind of basic trying to understand what it's there for. I mean, that one is, I think, quite dramatic. I mean, the person who painted that mural, I mean, he was, he was a communist, basically. I mean, he was a guy of the hard left at one time. And it's amazing uh, to see that, you know, you have these actors today who say, well, that thing was offensive. They completely missed the meaning of the mural entirely. They just said, well, it's offensive. Uh, you just got to get rid of it. You just got to, and they did eventually put it, a, apparently they've covered it up now, which is really quite, quite absurd. And I think that that is the problem, too, is that I don't think there's really a, any kind of attempt to understand what these things are there for. I think this is kind of the, the power politics of the modern day. You, you simply, if you like it, you, you keep it. If you don't like it, then you just completely get rid of it. You shut it down, you silence. And I think that's, you know, that's a common tactic we see. I mean, we see that in social media. We see that in, as I said, the cancel culture politics of today. And I think that's an un- unhealthy attitude uh, for any society to have. I mean, we're, we're a society that should be a free people who can think for ourselves. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of these debates, I think there are a lot of politicians in particular who use statues and use monuments and use them as a, as a kind of a scapegoat. They say, you know, hey, look, the, the real problems you have aren't, you know, crime or bad schools or, you know, the problems of our city. They're really the statues, and we, we need to take all those down. You know, I saw this happen in, in Baltimore. I mean, they were very quick uh, to go after statues in Baltimore. The mayor was very much for it and eventually got, she got busted uh, for uh, corruption charges, just like three of the last four mayors. And I'm thinking, well, you know, I don't think the problem was the statues. I think the problem was that the schools are bad, that, you know, this, this place, you know, has a lot of crime and a lot of violence. And so I think a lot of it's used as a kind of scapegoat and these kind of they kind of inject it in these historical debates when, you know, there are a lot of other problems that are not being addressed. And I think this brings up uh, the, this question, which is who is behind this effort? We know that it's been a, a growing thing to want to tear down statues and tear down anything of our past. Where did this originate from and who is carrying this out today? You know, I really do think it, it's, it's the far left in this debate because I think there are many, even, you know, what you think of as just liberals who in, in America who still ultimately want to preserve America's past. I, I think that there's this widespread belief that, you know, look, the founding fathers were generally good, that America was built on something that was generally good and it's worth protecting. But I think there is a, a, a perhaps growing group of 
I would say, hardcore activists. You know, these are the acolytes of people like Howard Zinn, the, the far left historian. And they have basically, they've gathered a lot of power, and especially in American institutions, our schools, our higher education, K-12. They look at America as fundamentally broken. They think it's opposed to their ideas. A lot of them are collectivists. A lot of them are socialists. They know that American ideas and culture uh, have been an impediment, have been an impediment to their ideas uh, just naturally. I think there are embrace of individual rights, the, the Constitution, things like this, again, are seen as an impediment. And I think they know that that, that is a huge roadblock for them. And so they want to separate Americans from their past, which is a, a culture and tradition of liberty. They want to separate from that, them from that to, to basically introduce new doctrines. They want to replace the old ones with new. And, and what those new ones are, I think, look, when you look at polls, I think it's very clear, you know, where things are going in certain respects. I mean, at the same time, we see polls that show that Americans, especially younger ones, have some of the lowest uh, scores when it comes to understanding of civics and history. We see, at the same time, a huge rise in young Americans who say, for instance, that they embrace socialism over capitalism and things like this. And I, I, so I do think that there is a huge ideological element here. You teach Americans to think that their country has been broken fundamentally, that it's against them, that it's just oppressive, that, you know, that the people who came before them that meant them ill. And you convince them that, hey, well, we have all the answers for you. We're going to start a brave new world, year zero. We're going to wipe away all the past and all of its sins, and we have a, a brave new perfect future ahead of you if you only just embrace uh, socialism or whatever it is. And I, I think that's really what some of the motives are behind this stuff. I think that's what's really turned this thing into a national movement rather than one that just starts with local battles over, over history and things like this. I think this is why it's such a, a potent national movement in this country. So where do you see the battle going next? So I think this has been an issue that's been ramping up. There's the war on statues. There's a war on certain holidays, of course, not just Columbus Day, but also Thanksgiving. There's the war on America in general and the ideals and it was founded upon, which you just talked about. But where do we see or where have you seen as you research this issue area and follow it very closely? Where is the war going now? It's undoubtedly going, to, I mean, it's really challenging the founders in particular. I mean, uh, that, that may almost seem cliche at this point, but I really do think that that is the big one. I mean, I think we saw this recently uh, with the New York Times launching uh, the 1619 Project, which I think had an interesting beginning. I mean, they're kind of studying slavery in America and its history, which I think is an important topic. But right from the beginning, they started saying, you know, we aim to reframe American history to say that, the true founding of America was 1619 when slavery was first introduced, not 1776, which I disagree on the historical details. Actually, slavery did exist uh, in the Americas long before 1619. But I also disagree that America's heart and root is 1619 rather than 1776. And I, I think that that kind of battle, and in a weird way, it, it kind of takes the side of those who argued for slavery, I mean, just before the Civil War, and their kind of belief that America should be founded and based on race-based slavery, they're kind of taking that argument and picking it up instead of the argument of Abraham Lincoln and, and in connection, I think, to the founding fathers, uh, that America was basically founded in, in liberty and in the Constitution and, and the individual rights that I think we've come to embrace. Uh, so I think that is the I think that is the battleground. I think for for a, for a large parts of our history, 
the founders have been kind of uh, almost untouchable. The Americans have always celebrated them and thought that George Washington was the, the great man of our founding and that Jefferson's words were an inspiration, uh, something to, to reinvigorate us. I think they, if the founders fall, America falls. I mean, that's, I mean, that's really what we are. I mean, it's, it's come down uh, from what happened in our revolution. So to me, that is, that is, I mean, certainly a lot of other figures are under attack. And we talk about Christopher Columbus, like, you know, talk about uh, the, the pilgrims and the Puritans and talk about many other figures, but you know, that's kind of the last straw in this debate. And I think that's going to be a ferocious one. And in your book, you talk about, so what does this all mean? And, and you mentioned the importance of informed patriotism. What does that mean to you? I'm sure there are people listening to this podcast who maybe they're concerned about what their kids are learning or what the grandkids are going to know just about America and its founding. What is informed patriotism and how do we help the next generations with with the history and, and teach them and the importance of it. And it's important to learn lessons. What do you encourage people to do? Yeah, it's, it, it, it does come, it, it comes from specifically from Ronald Reagan's farewell address that, you know, he called for Americans to embrace informed patriotism, that it was something that at one time was much easier in America. If you didn't, he said, you know, if you didn't get it in your school, you get it from your community, you would get it from you get it from popular culture. You get it from Hollywood. And I think a lot of those things have disappeared. I mean, you don't get it from Hollywood. You don't get it from popular culture. You don't increasingly certainly don't get it from your schools. And so unless you have you know, parents that are highly engaged and, and help you along that path, you, know, you don't go, you don't get anything. I mean, I was very fortunate when I was a young man, my, my parents, you know, I came from home from school and they asked who I learned. This was the 50th anniversary of D-Day. I think one of the most important days in all of human history, my school didn't teach about that. My, my father actually com- confronted my public school teacher and said, you know, why isn't our son learning about American history? You know, there are a lot of young people not, who were not much older than him that, that died so that others could be free. And my school, they, I mean, the teacher didn't do anything. I mean, they, they, they said, well, I'm, we're sorry. And so my parents pulled me out. They put me in a, in a private school. And I think for a lot of Americans, I think it's important, you know, especially if your school is failing to teach about American history and civics, you know, I believe very strongly in uh, an issue my wife works on very much, which is the issue of school choice and being able to pull your child out of a failing school and get them to a place where they do teach American history. They do teach about civics. And even beyond that, I think, look, we live in a a mass information age. And while I think a lot of uh, what's out there kind of obscures the truth, you can find a lot of primary documents about history. You can find a lot of information that is fairly widely available on just the truth of our history. And, you know, I, I, you know, it's, it's amazing, you know, what's out there in the modern environment, even though there's a lot of garbage, there's a lot of great information that helps you inform yourself about the greats of our history. Uh, learn about Frederick Douglass, learn about uh, Abraham Lincoln, learn about the founders. I think this, it certainly is available. It's about Americans who care enough to, to go seeking the truth. And I think it's about also creating an education environment that's much better uh, so that Americans can find that truth. And so it's not obscured. And so I think this, this whole movement can be con- confronted with facts. You know, I hope I did that in my book, The War on History. I hope I at least gave some people some information and some understanding of their past, not just the founders, but, you know, going through the generations that upheld what ultimately became the great country of the United States, which we live in today. And I, I do hope I, I've been, I'm certainly informed and helped people understand that and, and have the arguments, especially if they're debating somebody who 
doesn't think that America was ultimately a great country, and they think that America isn't a country that we should be proud of. So I, I do think that there's a lot of room to kind of battle back in this, and I think there's a, a huge audience of Americans who want that message. They're, they're tired of what they hear in Hollywood. They're tired of what they hear on TV, and they're, they're disappointed what their kids bring back from school. And I think there's a way to take a stand. You know, maybe it's a small one in, in a local community. Maybe it's writing a, a letter to the editor if a, a statue is under attack in your community that you think it's of a person that needs to be admired. So to me, there's a lot of battlegrounds. And, you know, we talk so much today about what's going on in Congress, what's going on in the world. But, you know, this is kind of a battle for the heart of America. And I think it's important that it, it really needs to be won. And final question for you. This is more my curiosity. So you're you're talking about a topic that's pretty contentious for many people. What has the b- war been against you since this book came out? What, what's it been like for you? Well, I, I think there are a lot of people who, uh, I mean, look, there, there are a lot who want to end what I'm doing. They, they don't like this idea that somebody is going out and defending Christopher Columbus and things like this. I mean, uh, you know, Columbus on our college campuses now is unfortunately an extremely unpopular figure. And I think I, I defend people who have become unpopular for one way or another. I, you know, defend Theodore Roosevelt. There are a lot of people who have, you know, some issues with him. And so, you know, I, I get a lot of those attacks. And to me, I, you know, it's about battling back with simply the truth and the facts as they are. You know, I, I'm not, in my history, I don't try to create a kind of just sunny, you know, rainbows and sunshine view of history. History is very complicated sometimes, and, and it's, it's, it's healthy to try to understand those complications and to think through those things. So, you know, my, my book is a kind of positive de- defense of the past. You know, I come from a position that uh, these, these figures uh, were ultimately good for America. This country was built on great things, but certainly there are a lot of people who want to take that down a notch. And, you know, I, I, I certainly get criticism on that end, and I'm sure, sir, I will get a lot more. I mean, it certainly interferes with, I think, the narratives that are out there that America was really never great to begin with, uh, which is a powerful and rising one. I, I mean, it's contending with, unfortunately, a lot of what goes on in our elite institutions in America, our elite schools. Uh, you know, so there's a, there's a huge wave of opposition to this idea of, you know, should we have a positive history of America's past at all? Um, and so, you know, and fortunately, there are a lot of people, you know, like myself who, you know, believe that we do. Uh, so, you know, yes, I, I'm sure to get a lot of attacks and I've already gotten some attacks, uh, certainly online. But uh, to me, you know, I think this country is founded on great things. I think it's worth defending. I think it's worth having the kind of courage to stand up and defend it. You know, there were a lot of people a lot braver than I was who faced a whole lot more. Uh, to make sure that I had a country, that I had a, a freedom. And, and to me, you know, that makes it all worth it. And I, you know, whatever attacks I get, it is worth it because I'm not going to back down on what I believe about America. Well, it's a thought-provoking book with a lot of historical fact in it. It's great. People should go out and get it. It's called The War on History, The Conspiracy to Rewrite America's Past. Jarrett, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much. And thank you for joining us. Before you go, I also wanted to let you know of a great podcast you should subscribe to in addition to She Thinks. It's called Problematic Women, and it's hosted by Kelsey Bowler and Lauren Evans, where they both sort through the news to bring stories and interviews that are of particular interest to conservative-leaning or 
problematic women. That is women whose views and opinions are often excluded or mocked by those on the so-called feminist left. Every Thursday, hear them talk about everything from pop culture to policy and politics by searching for problematic women wherever you get your podcasts. Last, if you enjoyed this episode of She Thinks, do leave us a rating or a review on iTunes. It does help. Also, we'd love it if you shared the episode and let your friends know where they can find more She Thinks episodes. From all of us here at Independent Women's Forum, thanks for listening. Thank you.